First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out, your, uh, out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit, and as one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Father, these are not fun passages, but Lord, how... Um, in our society, in our culture, uh, we are just like Corinth in, in so many ways. So permeated by the culture. So permeated by the world, Lord. And you called your disciples, Father, to go out and to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that you commanded. And so, Lord, I pray that you teach me this morning, you teach us, Lord, we'd have a teachable heart that we would learn to hear what your heart is, your design is for us. And when it combats culture, Lord, when it goes against the flow, I pray that we would not surrender to popular opinion, but we would surrender to the designer of the world and the one to whom one day we will stand before and give an account and enjoy the blessings of the cross and the forgiveness and eternal life. And so, Lord, in that light, we pray that we would not be living for today and now and just for our own earthly pleasures, Lord, but we would be centered and focused upon uh, your heart for us. So, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us as we read through this, as we study, as we learn, that it wouldn't just be an, an intellectual inner so, uh, exercise, Lord, that it would be actually be pierced and challenged in our hearts where we've fallen short in these areas. And so we just lift up your word before you. I ask this in your name. Amen. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. It's common knowledge is the word. It's common knowledge that there's sexual morality among you. So the word for sexual morality is pornea, and you can get the idea where we get that word pornography from. And this is not limited to, uh, it was originally, the word was about going to, have, uh, to hook up with prostitutes. That's kind of what the original word was, but in the time, the etymology of the word developed, and here you are in the New Testament, and it, and it encompasses the idea of anything and everything outside of marriage that is not what God designed for you. That's not what he has. And so, that, so that's what he's addressing. It's reported that there's this stuff going on, and he's going to address several different issues. He's going to address a person who's uh, hooking up with his mother-in-law or his, his father's wife, and he's also going to talk about people, uh, you know, engaging with prostitutes. And so this stuff's going on in the church. Pretty wild, huh? It's like, what in the world is going on there? And so Paul's going, can you believe this stuff? is? It's reported, like, 
it just, everybody knows that's what's going on at your church. And so he starts to address it. It's actually reported that there, this is going on among you. There's sexual morality among you, and the kind that not even pagans tolerate. <laughs> and this is the situation. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And so there's this character in the church um, who is having sex with his father's wife. Not his mother, it's his father's wife. And the problem is that Paul's concerned with here, verse 2, and you're proud. And you're proud. Why would they be proud? Why would they be proud? Thought they were demonstrating God's grace. They were the tolerant church. They were the accepting church. They were understanding this person's struggle and all this stuff. Whatever it might be, I don't know, but whatever it was, they were proud of the situation. And my, my guess and the context of here is, is looking at, they're going, wow, look at how we're not judging this person. Look at how we're not judging this person. And as we've been going through Scripture, what happens? We see that in the first part, they've been judging things they shouldn't judge, putting final judgment on motives and things like that. And now we're going to find out that things that they actually are called to judge, they are not doing it at all, which means that they think that there are very smart people in this culture where they actually have a real horrible knowledge of God. They haven't grown in it. And so Paul the Apostle is coming in and saying, don't you know? And he's going to say a lot of don't you knows. Okay, so pick up on that when he's talking to this, this church. He's going to go, hey, don't you know? It's like, because they said they, they know a lot, right? It's a, it's a, it's a puffed up group. There's a lot of knowledge going on, and we know how to do this, and we're real super spiritual. We've got all the gifts flowing and all this stuff, and so don't you know? Shouldn't you know? Didn't you know this? And so Paul's going to gently encourage them. I don't say gently, but he's kind of getting in their face a little bit and telling them what's up. Using you're proud. And isn't this an amazing thing within the church of God? We, we have no idea, and this is a real issue, I think, we... Because judgment is such a, an incredibly dangerous situation, we'd rather not judge. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew 7. We talked about, do not judge, lest you be judged, for the judgment that you use is going to be used against you. And so we want to make sure we do not judge. And how many of you love not to be judged? I don't want to be judged, right? But what we end up doing is taking that verse as a reason to let things continue on, or let things uh, slide that should not be happening, or to justify my own way of life. And that's a very dangerous situation. I look at a nation without righteous judgment, and you're going to be in trouble. Amen? If there's not good judgment, if there aren't calls being made, and anybody can just do whatever they want, What's going to happen to that nation? You go ahead and spend money like there was no tomorrow. Well, don't you dare say anything about that. 
Don't you dare say anything about this or that or this or that because you're judging. And so we don't want to come across as like, hey, you know, final judgment, you're going to hell and all that type of stuff. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's judging the world and he's going to get into that. But what happens when things go berserk in the church? What happens when it happens in this room, in this setting, in this group of people, in my life, in your life? What are we supposed to do? What do we do? Matthew 18, we know about that. Matthew 18 says if your brother sins, you go to him with, you, you talk to him, brother or sister, right? What's going on? What's going on in your life? And other places tell us we're supposed to do that in the spirit of gentleness, right? So we're supposed to be gentle and we're supposed to talk to them and say, hey, this is something that's going on. Repent. And then if they don't hear you, then you take two more. Then you take three more. And if they don't hear you again, then you bring it before the church, and it seems like this church is not even going down that road. They're just saying, oh, look, at God will eventually get a hold of their hearts. And look what's happening. They're proud. They're puffed up. I think they, they think that they're exercising God's grace. They're exercising God's love by allowing this to continue on. And Paul says, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of fellowship the man who's been doing this? The exact opposite thing needed to happen. You needed to cut it out and kick him out. And he's going to explain why. For my part, even though I'm not physically with, present with you, I'm with you in spirit. And as one who's present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the one who's been doing this. I've already come to a conclusion. I don't need to go through Matthew 18 and all this stuff. This is what needs to happen, Paul is saying. So when you're assembled, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power, so you have the spirit, and you have the power, that spirit is, you know, the Holy Spirit, and the power, you have the dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're present, when you're all gathered together, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What in the world does that mean? So there came a point when Paul said, that's enough. This, you're, you're letting this go on and fester and they're not changing. Nothing's happening. So what do you do? You've got to call them on the carpet in front of the whole church and then cast them out, disfellowship them. How many of you want to be a part of that? Signing up for that? Do you think maybe that's one of the reasons why they weren't acting upon that? Because it's not very fun? What happens when you cast someone out? Oh, gosh. Church splits? Anybody? Because everybody knows someone, and someone's going to get hurt no matter what happens, right? And the leadership, they acted, they took too long, or they were too quick, or whatever happens. And they have poor judgment, and this and that. I mean, it's, it's not a fun process. Any of you have ever been through that? Hate it absolutely hate it. Want to err on the side of grace, totally. But hand him over to Satan, cast him out. Hand him over to Satan, what does that mean? There is a protection that happens when we are gathered together as the body of Christ, when we are in Christ, when we're fellowship. There is a cleansing effect that happens in the body as we are hanging out with one another. Salt and light and fellowship and all these types of things are happening. And, and there's just a real edification that happens. As I'm bumping into other Christians, 
my rough edges rub off onto them and they're going, hey, you know, Matt, this is what the Word says. This is what the Holy Spirit's saying. I want to encourage you, brother. You need to, you know, straighten that ship out. And you go, oh, okay, thank you, Lord. And so fellowship and being together and praying with one another and being in the Word together Sunday mornings, this edifies our hearts. It straightens us out. And when we're removed from that situation, we're removed from the refining force of the church, from the light of Christ, the body of Christ, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, the edification, we're removed from that. We're essentially back into the world, but as Christians. And so what is he saying? He's saying, take this person and put him outside the fellowship. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What does that mean? I think it partially means so that they will just be given over to what they're pursuing and they will see the end of it. Let them, if, if they're going after sexual morality, let them fully go for it. Go. You're not endorsing it. You're saying, not my responsibility anymore. We're handing you over to Satan between you and God. Go. And as that person goes and goes and goes, and, and they just go involve themselves in deeper and deeper sexual morality, the fruit of what happens, the war gets worse and worse and worse. And some people, what actually happens is they end up dying. Some people, they actually have a, a tremendous heartbreak and situation that happens in their heart. And this is what Paul is getting at, is that you can't have best of, the best of both worlds. You can't have one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. You can't be in Christ and live like you're not. And so he's saying, cast this brother out. Let Satan have Adam. Removed from the protection of the body. And what happens in the heart, in the mind behind all this is what? Is it so that they get destroyed? What is the heart? Restoration. Oh God, please restore this person. Take them, remove them from the body for their own benefit. And guess what he's going to teach? And also for the church's benefit. For our benefit. So this is what he's, he's talking about. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. What does that mean? I don't know. That's a crazy verse for me. So that's, he's also, is, is, he, is he not saying that if this process doesn't happen, that it's possible for him to not have his spirit saved on the day of the Lord? I don't know. Take one of those fun verses and have fun with it, but I don't even want to be in that situation. Do you? But there's something refining that happens in that person's life. There's something cleansing when you take them and you remove them. There's a, a clear line drawn in the sand. They're not confused anymore about, oh, I can go to I can go to church, be a part of a body, be in fellowship and do all that stuff. And, and then I can also go ahead and sin like mad and be involved in this way. And you can't do it. It's one or the other. And that's what God is teaching us. To be holy. And he's going to talk about because it ruins our witness. He's going to get into this. And so he goes on, he goes, verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know? And now here we go, the don't you knows. Don't you know? 
don't you know, a little leaven, a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. We know that leaven, what it does is you put it into a, uh, into a dough and it is basically it putrefies it and, and it expands. And because the bacteria is doing its thing or whatever it is, there's a, you know, there's an expansion of air in between it. And, and it only takes a little bit to make the whole loaf. You put too much and you'll have Carol's situation where you open the freezer and it's or the fridge and you got a problem, right? Well, just a little bit of leaven, you put it into the, the dough that you're starting and it will cause the whole thing to rise. How many of you bakers know that there's, it doesn't take very much? It doesn't take very much. And leaven is, is a picture of sin in Scripture. He says, don't you know that a little leaven, a little sin, is going to infect the whole body? How many of you like a little bit of cancer in your body? It's okay. A little bit of cancer. Hang out with a little bit of cancer for a couple of years. Now, what do you do? You address it right away because it is deadly. And, and this is the situation. You, you cut it open. You cut it out. You find out. You go to the doctors. You're doing, you want that removed or repaired or restored or healed. It just cannot continue in that state because it affects everything. And that's just the picture here he's drawing. boasting's not good. Don't you know a little yeast leavens the whole batch? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. And now he's going to get into some imagery because those of you who know the Old Testament, who just went through the life of Moses at BSF, um, he's going to talk about the, pa- the feast of Passover. And he goes on and says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new unleavened batch. What in the world is he talking about? The feast of unleavened bread, the feast of Passover was a seven-day feast. Uh, I want to say Moses chapter 12. No, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 talks about this feast. And what they were to do is they were to, the beginning of this whole seven-day feast, uh, period, the very first day they were just to go in through all their cupboards and all their house and any yeast that was in the house there to get rid of it. So you had to get all of your, rid of all your raised bread. You had to get rid of, you know, anything that had yeast in it. I mean, how fun is that? And so they had to do that. They had to clear it all their house, out, out of all their houses. And that whole week, they would prepare the hearts for the, uh, the Passover. And this is a picture of, of what happened back in the Old Testament when they were in Egypt and God was drawing them out of Egypt, a type of the world, correct? Egypt is always a type of the world. They were in the bondage, the slavery of the world, and God was calling them out, and so they would have un, unleavened bread. There would be no sin in their lives. God would remove the sin from them. And the, the, the lamb was sacrificed. The Passover lamb was sacrificed, and the blood was put in kind of a cross formation over the doorpost of their house. And the angel of death came by on that one night, and what happened? All the firstborn kids died who did not have the blood of the lamb over the door. And so Jesus' blood covers our sin. And there was no yeast in the house. The sin was removed from the house. And that's the picture. Don't live like you're back in Egypt and in, in enjoying all those things that you once were the leavened bread, the old yeast. That's not who you are anymore. You're now this new unleavened, a sinless, spotless, 
beautiful wife that God has made for himself to enjoy white, beautiful dress, the whole thing. She's, there she is, you know? That's us. Clean, pure, virgin, unspotted by the world, untainted. And I love how he says this. He goes, don't be like that old yeast. You get rid of it. Be that new and leavened batch as you really are. That's who you are. Do you not know that? Don't act that way. Don't be that. That's not who you are. This is who you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness. And notice he's attaching the sin that's going on here. There's malice and wickedness, that old way of life, the old way that we used to operate. No, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Wow, a new people, a new heart. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. That's what he's done for you. He's removed the heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh, not like flesh after the world, but a heart that beats for God. You have a new life in you. Put off the old life. Put on Christ. Let the new happen. So he's teaching this young church. Man, this stuff is not what needs to be going on. This is the old life. Let's need, yeah. It's not something you'd be proud of. That's something you need to be repulsed by. Get it out. Cut it away. And he goes in verse 9. He's going to clarify some things. He says, I wrote to you in my letter. Now, wait a second. This is 1 Corinthians. What does that tell you? That this might be 2 Corinthians. <laughs> There's letters going back and forth. And this one, obviously, the one he wrote before didn't survive. So here we are. I wrote to you my, in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Wow. Now he's going to clarify. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to get on a rocket ship and leave. Correct? That's what he's saying. Don't associate. So he wrote to them, don't associate, associate with the sexually immoral. I don't know about you, but it's like, well, then where do I go? I'm going to go be a hermit. You know, I mean, and then you have yourself to deal with, right? I mean, there's just nowhere you can go is what he's saying. Like, it's all around you, but what he's talking about, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm writing that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy. Notice all these other things he puts in here. It's not just about sexual morality. There's other things that are going on. Is greedy, an idolater, or slandered, or a drunkard, or a swindler. And he's going to talk more about these things. Uh, you know, the greedy and the swindlers and all that stuff. He's going to get into the church suing other people in the body. And he's going to talk about that. So he's, he's, he's starting to pepper them with some um, stuff that's they're going to need to hear in just a minute. And he says, don't even eat with such a person. What does that mean in our church? It's someone who, it's not that we're, you're struggling with some of these things and learning how to follow Christ. That's not it, I don't think. Otherwise, like once we're saved, right the day one, we got to be perfect Christian, right? I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about the person 
who is, who, who is a greedy person that has been confronted on it, that it says, th- and has been taught, and has been shown, and has been discipled in this, and they refuse, they refuse to change, they refuse to conform to what the Spirit is saying through the Word, through the body, and they're just like, forget you, I'm going to continue to do this. And what does he say? Don't even associate with them. Don't have business dealings with them. Don't go to ball games with them. Don't even hang out with them. Don't Facebook with them. Don't friend them. Don't like their post. Don't respond to their tweets. Boom. Why? When church discipline has happened, when these things have happened, when, when they've been excommunicated from the church, so to speak, you cut them off. Because, oh, well, that's a little too hard. I'm going to go ahead and usurp the authority of God. I'm going to go in there and just be brother and sister. Let God work that out. And as the Holy Spirit is working in their life and they're experiencing the pain of separation from the, the cleansing flood of the body, and remember, there was probably only one church in Corinth. And so, one thing I do not like to do, and I wouldn't, you know, it's like, what do you do when, okay, someone is having troubles in the church and you ask them to leave and so they just hop over to the next church. What do you do? Well, hey, pastor, pastor, how you doing? You got a situation. So-and-so is, they're under church discipline. This is what's going on and you leave it in their hands. What can you do? It's so easy and we've got, how many churches in this valley? And people just can pop from one to the other to the other to the other to the other and never experience that loss. That's, it's hard, and it's not up to me to create that or you to create that. But when we see them, there needs to be a shunning. Not that I, we're, so this is not, Paul's just talking to the leadership. He's talking to the church that there's something that happens with all of us. And I don't like this. Do you like talking about this? I don't want to talk about this stuff. Yuck. But here it is. What do you do? You cut them off. You don't hang out with the cancer until it's in remission, until the Lord has dealt with it. And the Holy Spirit will lead how that happens. And what's so cool about this is you flip over to 2 Corinthians and we see Paul going, hey, restore that brother. That's pretty cool. And that's what we long for. And the world will say that'll never work. That'll never work. It's not up to me whether it works or not. We just obey what the Lord has said. He knows what works and doesn't. He knows how to work things out. I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be these things, uh, claims to be a brother or sister, but is involved in all this junk. Don't even eat with such a person. And, and, and that's such an important thing in, in, in Middle Eastern culture, and I think in ours as well. And the idea is when you, you'd eat together, you'd, you'd share, share deep fellowship with one another because you're eating from the same plate and you're bringing them into your home or whatever the situation is. It's not like you have fast food joints back then. You just don't even eat with them. That's how serious it is. And, and this is the church telling this person, which is very difficult because the church by nature is one that wants to love and wants to show grace and wants to grab people out of the fire and all that stuff. And Paul's saying in this situation, 
you can't, don't touch it, let it go. And it's really hard, and he's saying you gotta do this because it's best for them and it's best for you. That's what glorifies God. And now he clears it up. He says, what business of mine is it to judge those outside the church? I don't have any business judging those outside of the church. And notice he's not talking about, he's not talking about what to do with the, the mother-in-law, right, or his father's wife, which tells me she's not a believer. He's not talking about her at all. He's talking about this young guy who's claiming to be a believer. What, what business am I to judge those outside the church? I have no business judging people outside the church, telling them they can, you know, what they can and cannot do. I mean, I have opinions about things, everybody else does, but you know what I'm saying? That's not my jurisdiction. That's not your jurisdiction. Whose jurisdiction is that? That's God's. But he says right here, are you not to judge those inside? And he's going to explain a little bit more about this in, in the next chapter, so we're going to jump there, but are you not to judge those inside? And so you have a role in judgment within the house of the Lord. How does that make you feel? A little unequipped? A little like you better clean your own act up? Anyone else? Yeah. Oh, Lord. And so he goes off. It says, God will judge those on the outside. But you expel the wicked person from among you. Expel them. The wicked person. He calls them wicked. And so the heart of restoration, obviously, it's, there's restoration going on. You want to have this person restored. You're working through a process. They, re, they reject it. And so he says, cut them off. Get them out. For their salvation, so that they, their soul will be saved at the end of on, on Judgment Day, and so that the church will remain unblemished and protected. You see that twofold? It's not just about them, it's about us. It's not just about them. The whole world does not evolve around them. And notice when that's going on, it's a vortex that sucks everybody's attention to that situation instead of the glorification of God. Instead of the preaching of the gospel and all these things. So, what do we do? We want to protect the church. And lastly, it ruins our witness. And this is what Paul's going to get at when they start taking each other to court. It ruins our witness. When we allow these things to continue in the church forever and ever and ever. Because what is the difference between the world and the church? Holiness. What is the difference? So, the church is, the world's trying to escape all that crud. What do they escape to? To jump in here and find more of it? Lord, let it not be so. Help us. Have mercy upon us. God, let us be a pure, a pure people. Give us clean hands, clean hearts. Amen? And he goes on. He goes, if any of you, chapter 6, has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly judgment instead of before the Lord's people? So when you have a dispute with one another in the body, have, have, do you take it to a secular court? He goes, the ungodly, that word for ungodly is unjust. Do you take it to the unjust? He's not saying that judges can't write, write outside and in, in, in in our nation, they, they can't judge properly with certain things, but he's saying, what's, 
why do you take it out there? Why do you take it out there? When you have marriage problems, why do you go to a secular psychologist right away? Because they have the degree and they have the knowledge and all these things. What about the Word of God? What about people who are filled with the Holy Spirit? When you have problems with one another, with money, with, with different circumstances, the very first place we should go is to get wisdom from within the body of Christ. Is that not a paradigm shift for this, this age? And, is it not? Because what's the first thing we do? We worship education. We worship the certificate. We assume that because someone has gone through all these levels, and it's true, don't get me wrong, that there's very talented people and all that stuff, but we assume because the letters are after the name, then they can fix us. And obviously I'm not going to go to you for, to get you know, medication, right? And so there's, it's not a, a, a rock-solid argument. But when matters of law... Matters of resolving conflict is what he's talking about within the church. Where's the first place you should go? To the church. Do you know how many marriage counseling sessions we've had here at the church? Zero. Do you know how many divorces we've had in the church? Do you know how many things that are going on in the church? Yeah, something we're, we're, we're synchronized. We're synchronized with the culture. We're synchronized with, with what the world says and their standards. Now, Paul is not saying that when you, you need to ha- go to certain disputes, you can't go out there and get things resolved. That's, I don't think that's what he's saying, but man, the very first place we should go is the body of Christ, and he's going to get into it. Do you dare take your judgment before the ungodly instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Don't you know? Don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? That word world is cosmos. What in the world does that mean? I didn't, you know, it's like I'm going, Paul, I guess I don't know. He'll judge the cosmos, and he gets a little bit more detailed. Talks about judging angels. He, says, he goes, and if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Now, he's not talking about the cases are small. He's saying that the cases are small in light of the judgment that you will be a part of. If you're going to be given in Christ, we're in Christ, we're going to rule and reign with him over and over in Revelation, over in all these verses. If we're going to be judging the world, judging angels, I don't know how that's going to work, but with Christ, if we're going to be priests and rulers with him in the age to come, and we're going to be judging probably fallen angels, do you think you can handle some marriage counseling? Do you think you can handle situations within the church? Do you think you guys are able to do that because you have the Spirit of God? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, and now here's the application. It's not just ivory tower stuff. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters... Do not ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned by the church. I mean, can you believe what's going on in our courts? 
I mean, the injustice is crazy right now. It's just amazing. I and mean, there are great justices out there, but give me a I, mean, I just can't wait to see what's going to happen with the gay marriage thing. You know, the Supreme Court and the wisdom that they have. The extreme just ability to discern what is right for our nation. And I say that mockingly. It's just... It's right here. Why are you doing that? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those who are, whose way of life is scorned by the church? The values are, are different, totally different. They're operating from a different worldly worldview. I say this to shame you. And get ready. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? It's talking about wisdom. Is it possible that the reason why it's not happening is because no one's mature? Maybe. And that's the question I ask. But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this, and here's what really kills Paul in front of unbelievers. It's your witness. Your witness. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about the gospel. It's not about you getting justice. It's not about me getting justice. It's about the kingdom. It's about the lost. It's about the gospel going forward. And when our credibility is ruined because we're infighting, because there's sexual immorality, because we're taking each other to court, because the world has totally permeated us, we've lost the power. We've lost the witness. They look at us and go, ha! They look at us anyways for other reasons and go, ha, because we believe in Jesus. But let's not give them any more reason to run away than they need. in front of unbelievers. It's our witness again. The very fact that you have lost suits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Ask this when you're in dispute with someone about money. Ask when another Christian about the way certain things should be or not be. How many of you just, just go ahead and be wrong? Go ahead and be cheated. Let it go so that the thing doesn't blow up. And so people start going, oh my gosh, what a mess. How many of you desire to take that route and be lost or be cheated? Not really. But that's what happened to Jesus when he was struck. What happened to Jesus when he was scorned? Paul's talking about it with himself. When he was reviled, what happened, he answered kindly. And this is the heart of, this is what's, making him broken is this should be going on but it's not you're completely defeated why not rather be wrong instead you you yourselves you cheat and you do wrong and you do this to your brothers and sisters this is why he was talking about those swindlers and all those other things or do you not know that wrongdoers the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral so he's recapping nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. And that's two different words there. Uh, one is for male prostitutes, you know, prostituting themselves out. And there's also those, and, and there's also, so there's, and the other one is actually just homosexual sodomite is the other one. 
And so it's they just put it all in one sentence there. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God. Notice he packages that in verse 9. He says, will not inherit the kingdom of God, and he ends it, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's repeating something because it's very important that those people who live like this, that are caught up like this, that are that, that's a sign that the Spirit of God does not possess them, that they are not born again, that they're not allowing the Christ to rule, and therefore, what's the deal? People who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God, which tells me that people who do not live like that will. Now, why will they? Because they maintain a strict thing? No, it's because Jesus changed their heart. And I love this next verse. Underline it, circle it, star it, whatever you need to do. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How many of you, before Christ, were caught up in a whole world of junk? So horrible. And such were some of you. But you were washed. Isaiah talks about it. Psalm 51 talks about it. Come to me, those your sins are as scarlet. They shall be white as snow. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, makes us pure and clean inside. We're washed away from all that darkness. The old leaven is gone. We're now that new unleavened bread. The sacrifice has been made. Our sins are clean. Jesus made us pure. Praise God. Woohoo! Now walk in it. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were set apart. You were pulled out. The idea is a fish being pulled out of the, uh, out of the river. Uh, it, the idea is a, a stone being picked out of a pile. You were set apart. You were chosen. You were pulled out. You're no longer a part of that pile. Amen? Jesus bought you. You were bought. You were paid for. You. All your nastiness and all that crud that went on. He saw it. He saw every sin that you did and would made, and he says, I'm buying this wretch because I love them and I will clean them up. Speaking of myself, and he takes and he grabs you and he goes, You are going to be here. And wow. And notice you were washed. You were sanctified. And what is the last one he says there? Yeah, you were justified. That means you were declared right before God. Justified never sinned. That's what God did for you. So they don't know who they are. This church, don't you know? Don't you know who you are? That's the name of the message, don't you know? But don't you know who you are? If you, had, if you knew who you were, if you knew what he did, if you knew what he thought about you, what he said, who, who, what actually took place, if you just grabbed onto it, that would change your world. The knowledge you're grabbing is worldly knowledge. 
and you're making decisions according to it. Don't. You were washed. And how many of you, if you've fallen back into sin, guess what? Jesus, his blood, make you totally clean, spotless. I love what he says to Peter. I've already made you clean. You just need a little touch up. Love that verse. It's like, oh, I don't want to, you know, don't, don't wash my feet, Lord. I'm unworthy. It's like, I, I know, I've already made you clean. I'm just washing your feet. Man, that is how, that, how we came to Christ is how we continue in Christ. We are being washed. We were once and for all washed clean of our sin, but Jesus' blood is where we stand. We take communion and we remember what he's done for us and it is applied upon us. We've been sprinkled. We've been flooded with his blood. We're clean as a people, but I tell you what, we got to remember that and go to it all the time. You were washed, but sanctified. You were sanctified. In other words, you were set apart. You're being set apart. And on that day that you are saved, you shall be set apart. There's all these tenses to all these words that are used at different times. And you were justified. You were declared innocent. You were declared righteous. How many of you need that cleansing flood today? How many of you go, oh my gosh, I am like Isaiah. I am unclean and I'm among unclean people. Well, guess what? There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. Go to Jesus. The same way that you came to him is the same way you get to him. Run back to him. Run back to him. Let him cleanse you this morning. Let him flood you. Let him overflow you. Take all the junk away. First John 1 John 1.9, what is it? If we confess all of our sins, all that stuff, he is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our part, we confess. His part, he cleanses. Amen. Can he not heal? Can he not restore? Can he not do miracles in marriage and in life and families? That is the business he is in. Church, fix your eyes upon Jesus. If you've been caught up in sexual immorality, repent. Call it for what it is. Go to spiritual people. Say, forgive me, Lord, and I need help. Amen? Whatever it is, just get it clean. Go before the Lord. He is the cleanser. And how he loves you. And how he has a purpose for you in the midst of your failure. Amen? So that's what we want to be focused on. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Amen. All right, so let's pray. Lord, I just ask that this morning, um, as your word has gone out and as we're looking at the power that can be taken away when we fail to just abide in you. Lord, would you cleanse your church here? Would you wash your bride clean? Would you make us holy again in that light, that city that's on a, on a hill, Lord? We don't want to lose our saltiness, and if we have, will you regenerate us? Lord, where we've lost our witness in this community, uh, we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask that you'd reset our hearts and minds upon the, the mission, the mission of Jesus Christ, to shine his love, that there's repentance, there's forgiveness for all kinds of sin. 
no matter how dark and how dirty and how long it's been and whatever webs are caught your blood cleanses all and you can take dirty rotten sinners such were some of us <laughs> and you can make us clean and so will you do that through us to this world will you set our hearts back upon you Lord we love you we thank you for the hope we have. We thank you for the joy that we have. We, have, we thank you for the power and the forgiveness that we have, Lord. We thank you that you're merciful and you are over us and you're in us in your working through us and you will complete that good work that is in us. And so we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.